Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. The host with the most, as always, is I. And today I am bringing you uh, a second round victim of uh, the show who actually loved it so much that we decided to do a round two on it shortly after. And that is my good friend, Jim Yagi. Jim, welcome to the show. What's up? Yeah, guys, if you haven't already done some. Yagi one. Yagi one, Yagi two, right? I was going to say, guys, if you haven't actually gone ahead and listened to the first episode, please go back like two or three weeks, listen to that episode. It is amazing. It's fire. It's incredible. It's brilliant. Today's episode is going to go on a little bit more of a crazier tangent because we have no idea where we're going with this. So strap in for the time of your lives because we are probably going to end up on tangents with traffic, business, personas, and everything else in between. Um... I'm probably going to probe him for a couple of more ridiculous stories that he doesn't really understand or know that are coming. Even I don't even know they're coming. And most importantly, please rate, review, and subscribe to this show. That being said, oh, and check out yagilabs.com because there's some kick-ass stuff there. That being said, let's get the show on the road. Jim, quick question for you right off the bat because I'm very, very curious about this. Why the hell do so many people suck at paid pay traffic? Because I, I read your Yagi way the other day, and there was one thing you said in there that resonates so truly with me. Stop caring about the front end. Yeah, yeah. Why do so um, many people care about the front end? I'm curious. Well, I think, I think that there's this, um, I don't think it was a Dan Kennedy um, thing originally. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I'd never followed um, Dan Kennedy's stuff, but I think that um, the concept of a self-liquidating uh, offer, um, funded proposal, um, come to mind. David Smith. Um, Sorry, Dagan Smith. Dagan Smith funded proposals back in the day. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think that it's it's a it's a concept that was familiar around the um, the internet marketing space, and it was like there was this thing where they would say, I actually took it out. I think of that article um, that it was like pay um, pay per click was initially um, um, proposed as a free traffic method. I'll show you how you can do pay per click for free kind of thing. And then it was like basically the the, the whole um, the, the gimmick behind that was that pay per click would become free basically if you could um, cover your ad costs through having a fund like just an, a self liquidating offer, which was essentially a product that was sold with the sole purpose of um, recovering what you spent on ads. Yeah. Um, back then, it kind of maybe sort of a little bit worked because. You could you could potentially um, get your your um, pay per click to convert at that kind of a rate where and the cost was low enough the competition was um, practically you know, non-existent. The, it was it was yeah. the wild west. You were in the wild west of pay per click back then. Right. I mean, I remember starting out with fifty bucks, which was my budget for the month. I mean, it, it didn't last me the month, but um, I was making back enough from that fifty dollar initial seed budget that it would you know, I'd be able to get a good two, three weeks of play um, with the, uh, you know, till the end of the month. And then I'd work on other traffic methods that didn't cost money. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the, the concept. And then I said in the article, uh, so I didn't include this, but I decided to cut that out of the intro of the article. Um, but uh, what I was uh, talking about, um, what I did talk about there is, uh, hello, this is like, this is nothing new. Um, the whole purpose of business is to cover like the entire business from start to finish is to cover its cost and to make some extra money to make profit. Yeah, um, no more breaking even, basically get over even. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like, it's not the, the 
purpose of one product or the front end part of your business to take care of that. It could, it could take, um, like every business is different. Um, you think about like, you think about a business like um, Wrigley's gum, you know, that they sell, I don't know what a stick of gum sells for these days, but I mean, I haven't really, <laughs> I haven't really been in touch with that for a while, but I know. Right. Like, I think as a child, that is your go-to cause you're allowed it. But as an adult, you don't really kind of like, I don't really chew gum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, I mean, it's like a dollar, right? Let's just say it's a dollar for a stick of gum for like a whole pack. Yeah. Let, let's say, I think it's a bit more actually over here. It can, um, at least it can be more than that. But anyway, yeah, let's say it's a dollar, but I mean like a dollar and they advertise, they were advertising on these big national um, or, you know, big campaigns, um, television and so on. How are they making money? Clearly not through a funded proposal. There wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't enough to make one front end sale. Um, so yeah, your question was, uh, why do people suck at pay-per-click? I think that one of the, the biggest, um, well, I want to say I want to blame Perry Marshall. Um, That's fair. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he was um, he was the dude who came in first um, with paper uh, like to sort of sell training on pay per click. Um, and I have a lot of reasons. Maybe maybe we can get a little controversial on that. But um, let's get controversial. Know, it's fun. Yeah. Um, see. He um, he taught a way that was sort of very micromanaging. Don't trust the system. Don't trust Google to, um, you know, to, to do anything for you. Um, take away its control. Um, and and this was like done with all the split testing and being all really um, analytical about every little thing. And so most people who do pay per click are familiar with um, Perry Marshall. Um, my issue with Perry Marshall, I, I came in following his stuff to start with. Um, my biggest issue with him, though, like my beef with the guy, is he, he bailed on us. He bailed on the industry. When um, the Google slap happened, he just like, completely didn't acknowledge it. He, just, he was kicked off of Google. Um, there's no ads of his running there. He's still considered the authority on it, but he's not, a, like, at least not for a long time. Um, been any sort of authority on Google ads and he switched to Facebook and changed the conversation around um, and we were all everybody at the time was looking for leadership um, and I was like dude nobody there's no one at the time I didn't think of myself as somebody who could you know stand up and lead um, I was you know a rookie I was following other people as well and, and then I was like dude there's no one who knows what to do and like this is what I've built as my special as my specialty. I've invested into this, and I'm still on Google. Like what have, what have I done differently from everyone else? And I started to um, like that's when I started to um, pick up that that role of okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna give some leadership here. I mean I didn't I clearly didn't you know come in and replace Perry Marshall, which is fine by me. I wasn't necessarily trying to. Um, like I said, I was I just found myself okay. There's nobody here to lead. Um, so yeah. Perry Marshall um, bailed on us, and um, and people still think of him as the expert on Google Ads because he's got books on on it because he was there first and so on. Um, and it's frustrating because I see people um, who so I got a I got a, a guy who was um, trained not with Perry Marshall but one of his um, people I guess one of the people trained by him, um, and he works with me on some of my campaigns. And he's going in there and he's like, dude. 
like everybody is saying that you can't do such and such and such. And it's like, it's common knowledge. Everyone knows you shouldn't do this. And then you're doing it. I see you doing it. And I thought he was being critical. Like, you know, why the hell are you doing something you shouldn't be, um, you shouldn't be doing that everyone says doesn't work. And he's like, but then I'm looking at it and it works. <laughs> like, he's surprised at the stuff that they told me, like, don't even bother with this. That just doesn't work. And then you go in there and he's like, there's two cent sales happening over here on this, on this particular thing, which everybody told him, um, everybody in that you know, industry knows don't even bother because you're not going to get conversions. It's um, kind of like the whole thing that Dan Candy said. It's kind of apt that you bring this up because it was an email I got from Justin Goff, which was, um, which by the way, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to that episode because we dropped some incredible copywriting tips in there. Uh, but one thing Dan Candy that I have to credit him for is this belief system of don't do what everyone else is doing. If the masses say go one way, go the other you will find that you'll end up in like a much better majority. And again, it's the same rule here. Everyone was saying you shouldn't do this one thing. You're the one guy going the opposite way and you're killing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, also don't take that too, um, too literally because going the yeah. opposite way is not necessarily the right way, but exactly. going the opposite way can be, um, it, it can give you, it can shift. I often do this. I go, uh, when I'm writing emails, one of the things I do is I like look at some of the holy cows that people, you know, in, in the industry, like, here's what everybody believes. Then I go, well, let us, you know, just, this is mental exercise before I start writing. Um, let's go, let's just go the, op the opposite way and explore that perspective. How can this be true? So um, an example of something like this, not from our industry. And by the way, um, uh, something a lot of people in our industry do, they give an example, they're trying to teach or train on something and they give you an example from within the industry and sort of the cyclical thing. And I was taught by, my father's an expert on education. Um, so most of my products, he actually checks out and, 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 um, and ensures for- And critiques you know, to make sure that they're actually right. Okay, this makes more sense yeah. why your dad wanted you to be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> he wanted me to be a, a PhD. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, he's, he's um, he tell, he's like, this is confusing um, for the student. When you come and you use an example that is, it's, it's a little bit too abstract. So you got to take the example away from the field that you're in um, so that it becomes um, much more clear. And yeah. I do that and it's something that, um, you know, it, it makes, it does, it really works. I found that it works. So an yeah. example on Quora, there was, um, sorry, where were we? I sometimes lose my train of thought. Sorry. I do it all the time. It's fine. So we were basically talking about how, um, oh my God, what's cool. People go off on random tangents where it doesn't actually completely explore the idea and give it. Uh, the, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, going the opposite way. Right. Yeah. So on Quora, there was this, um, I was looking at a programming thread where somebody was saying um, that uh, single letter variable names, um, really bad programming practice or something along those lines, which, you know, most of the industry agrees. You don't want to have these um, really cryptic type of variable names when you're writing, um, when you're writing code, because somebody, you or somebody else revising the code later needs to sort of understand what is this variable supposed to do? What's this purpose or what's this function supposed to do? So I was like, okay, everybody, I read through what everyone was saying and everyone was kind of agreeing that, you know, oh yeah, hells no, you don't use single letter variable names. And I was like, Okay, but what are some scenarios in which it makes sense to use a single variable, use a single variable name? And I was like, 
huh, a formula, for example, um, a common formula like a physics uh, equation, like you know, velocity uh, equals you know distance over time. Oh, sorry, yeah, velocity distance over time or whatever. These like conventions, and it would make sense to just use that convention instead of writing out the full the full name because it's much more recognizable in that field. Um, and I, I had a few more examples, and I just I made a response that looked like that. And yeah, it got controversial. People came in and were like, oh, you, you know, you're an idiot for saying this. And it's fine. I didn't give a shit. It was, it was a much more interesting answer than most of the other ones because they all agreed to get. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's, it's that whole thing. That there's, um, the way I believe it is it's, it's the death of groupthink. Yes. Is essentially what you need. And I say this from a copywriting perspective because I had, um, so to give you guys an idea, so my training course, Welcome Sequence 101, if you guys go over to welcomesequence101.com, you guys can get started with the story-based email stuff. Um, one of the things I got told almost immediately, which I found stupid, so I'm like, no, I've tested, it works the other way, is when someone goes, if you're going to shoot your course live, do the introduction live and then do the rest of the, like, the training as if you were doing it as a one-to-many, it was just you and you alone. And I was like, I don't like that. And he was like, why? I was like, I did it that way. I had 10 separate businesses, all 10 unique businesses going through the same training with me. And the reason I did it this way was because then I can actually go ahead and give examples for those businesses and show you how it universally works. The concept has to work universally or it doesn't work at all, in my opinion. It has that, that's the key of copywriting. If it doesn't universally work or doesn't show you how it could universally work, then it's not a good copywriting course. It's the same as if you go to any training and they keep going on about like, so yeah, if you're a pay-per-click kind of guy, this is how you position yourself and it's all about PPC and there's no other variables. Uh, I mean, it, yes, exactly. Unless you title the course in such a way or you describe the course as being something exactly that is very that. niche. Yeah. Like my, my super traffic machine is positioned specifically as an affiliate marketing um, traffic training. I mean, it will work for bloody any type of other business, but you are going to have to, um, you know, modify it. Uh, yeah, exactly. You have to translate it to those other types of businesses, but it was for affiliate marketing. Um, deliberately. I did that on purpose and it can be quite good to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't have to always make it like obviously big. I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, so to give you guys an example of how I've done this and how I'm planning to do it. So I'm taking my welcome sequence one-on-one training course, which is a universal product. If you're in business, you should take this course. That is the end all because you need a welcome sequence and you need one that is basically rooted in 12 to 13 years of like everyday practice from someone who knows their shit. It's fair. Now here's where it gets really interesting. When I was creating this, I'm now taking that same training course and I'm changing part of it to just coaches. And the only difference I'm making around it with just coaches is I'm adding an extra guide in there, an extra guide to show coaches what I mean in certain parts. I'm like, you can use this in every single sequence and scenario just change these variables so you got a new product new exactly. market new market new products ready to go and of course you can split that up even further by going okay i only want to work with wellness coaches that are in the health industry that aren't fit pros great new product holistic new product and the thing is you don't have to modify all that much this is how um fuck what's his name there was a business author that did this in about seven different niches with the same goddamn book he just took the yeah. same book and just changed the title to each niche didn't change yeah. a fucking word. Well, it's Maybe. kind of like Robert Kiyosaki does. I mean, most, most, uh, um, let's do this. It's a very normal thing to do. It, it is. It's, it's a smart thing to do. You just, you're leveraging your, um, the, the effort that you already made. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, and you go into different, uh, different areas with it and, uh, target 
different audiences. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, okay. So my curiosity on this, from your perspective, for those people who might be doing this, and it's a, it is holy for me, but I know someone else would totally agree with me on this. Uh, it's the question towards if I'm, um, oh my God, what is it called? I lost my train of thought. Oh, that was it. If I'm actually going to other markets, would it be better that I actually modify the product for that marketplace? Or do I just tell them right up, look, I initially created this for a huge group of people. Turns out the majority of people that really love this are coaches and it helps them. I've included an extra guide, but I'm not modifying any of the videos. The videos are overall taught. You'll see what's in there. This is what goes through, but this is how it applies to coaches. And in fact, you've given you an extra bonus guide that is specific to coaches. Would you go that way or would you just like leave it as is and be like, just write the letter so it tells all this stuff, but kind of goes, it's specifically for coaches. Well, I mean, if it, if it is um, obvious that it's not for specifically for coaches, it would make sense to make that clear at the outset. Yeah. Um, and so it might like, I, yeah, I'd take it like, I treat it as if it's a weak, it's a weakness um, of the, uh, of what you're selling. And then, so, so you focus on it. So like, I'm being super transparent here. And then you're like, and here's what I've done to fix the, to, to make that no longer a weakness and turned it into a strength. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one way to do it. I, I'm always in favor of things that will take like leverage, uh, leverage stuff or things that will, um, minimize effort until you've um, proved viability. After you've proved viability, then you could always put the extra effort into doing, to doing it more, um, you know, to do it better, I guess. Agreed. Well, I have that same thought process with almost anything I do is like, if you admit the obvious weakness, it makes you more, and it's gonna sound weird, but it makes you more likable to your audience because you're being straight yeah. with them. Yeah, and, and human. Um, so, you know, talking about your errors, things that, that you did or used to do wrong. I, I remember, so, so there, was, there was a time when this was like, that wasn't something that people did. Um, yeah, like but, ever. But yeah, it was like, you had to be super professional. You had to be perfect all the time. And uh, I remember that was a major criticism of a lot of the, um, the, the people that we used to follow. It was like, dude, you used to say this or you used to think like that. And there's no acknowledgement of that thing being a weakness. Right. Do you want to know what's really funny about that is I've somehow, and this is something I have tracked over the last four big shifts that we've had in the industry. They've all kind of been just when I've gone, huh, I should do it this way. And then everyone seems to jump on at the same time they have that idea. So a key example with this show. Um, so to give the new listeners of the show a little bit of history of how the show came about. Uh, first of all, it had the dumbest name on the market when I first launched it. Uh, I'm embarrassed to actually say that I actually called it this. Uh, it was actually Jason Moffat that told me to stop calling it this. I found a new name, which is Adela Marcy Unplugged. The initial show title for this was, I think, The Lifestyle Hero, which was like really fucking stupid because uh, it was 2013 and I was in my early 20s. I was like 24. Um, so six years into my professional writing career, do my own thing. Um, here's where it gets really, really insane and slightly ridiculous. At that time period, everyone and their mothers, Jim just said, was trying to be the guru. I'm a guru. Look at how perfect my life is. I never swear on camera. In fact, maybe I'll swear every so often, but that's only because Frank Kern did it and everyone likes him. Basically, group think and her think is always the case. But then as soon as I switched that around with this podcast, my whole goal of the show at the very beginning was to have conversations like this because my whole thing was like, I know you. 
you called me a shitbag the other day, jokingly, and made fun of the fact that I look terroristically, like, ethnic. You made fun of me for that, and I made fun of you for being a hillbilly. Why the fuck do we not tell our marketplace that we do this? It's like it's very hushing under the radar. I'm like, they don't want hushing under the radar. They want authenticity and realness. They want to know they can have a drink with you. They can go out with you, and you will be just as real as you are on camera as you are to them in person. Fair enough, you might be a little bit more polished on camera, but it doesn't detract from that fact. So as soon as I started having this conversation, I was like, right, how do I do this? It's like, I know way too many business owners because I've written for them, and they're really good friends of mine. Just interview them. Get them on here, act as if like there's just the two of us and one of us hits record and we record everything. No, nothing gets left behind, no stones left unturned. And then about a year and a half later, everyone started talking about authenticity and being authentic to who you are. I was like, you fuckers. Same thing with the whole story selling movement. The moment I bought storysellingblueprint.com in 2015, the week later, Kevin Rogers, Roy Fur, and about four other copywriters started claiming the title story selling. I was like, you bastards. I, didn't, all my I, I used story selling at some point, but I don't, I don't know if it was before or after that. Oh, no. Um, I found out that the history of it goes to Nick Nanton, who I did interview. So Nick is a really, really good dude. I, I do like him. But he uh, incorporated, not incorporated, trademarked, I think, or incorporated one of the two. So he has a copyright for the, for the term. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Thankfully, I, did me I, I messaged him. I was like, hey, man, can I use this? He was like, yeah, let's do it. So I got him to do an interview for the product for me as well. Nice. Yeah, Nick's a very interesting character to say the least. But, uh, but kind of going back into what you were saying, authenticity is like such a huge thing. And my question to you nowadays is how does someone actually get that out of them? Because there is still a certain level of imposter syndrome and fake it till you make it being perpetuated online. Yeah. And of course, neither one of us believe that. So my question is, how do you authentically stay true to who you are without fucking up your, your image? And to give a, there's like two questions here. How do you do it? And then how do you do it without fucking up your image? The caveat to this is you're slightly depressed. Life is kind of terrible right now, but you can't in good authority, in good consciousness, you can't authentically tell the world, guys, I'm all okay. Let's go make a million dollars. You're really like, guys, I kind of want to kill myself right now. And the most I can tell you right now is that I'm having a good day. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. Even, even when you've been doing it for a long time, it's hard. Um, I, uh, I mean, you know, there's this stuff too, like you, you got to come out and, um, you tell personal stories and then, and, um, you know, I, when I was, when I was alone, I could, I could talk about my personal stories and, and it wasn't an issue. It wasn't so much of an issue, but now you're, you know, uh, like I'm, I'm married. So if I talk about, you know, I had a fight with my wife the other day, um, it was about such and such. She's gonna give me shit about it. Um, like, hey, why would you share that with with everybody, kind of thing? Or that's, you know, that's my wife has this really annoying habit. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you got to strike a balance um, because I mean, some things are maybe a little bit too personal to share, um, and sometimes it's cool to put them out there. Um, you know, uh, but uh, it, it's tough um, to know what that is, and I think that. Um, there isn't really a way to, to tell some, to teach somebody how to do it. Um, you've just got to see what level you're comfortable with. Um, and sometimes push that, like occasionally push that because you don't, people don't need to know about everything going on in your life all the time. But if you could occasionally reveal something, um, from your life where you feel comfortable enough to share it 
and somebody else um, might find that, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. Um, well, I then, can't believe they did that at one point in their yeah. life. Yeah, so that, that would be, like, if you can do that just once in a while, I think that's sufficient. Um, Agreed. I think there's like, uh, the, go on. No, I was sorry. just going to say, there's probably very little in terms of business lessons anyway, like especially if that's what you're doing. Um, if you're selling a product on, I don't know, um, dog training or something, people don't really need to know about what's going on in your personal life. I mean, you told if you shared a little bit, that's okay for personality's sake. No. I'd say as long as it, as long as it pertains back to your product or service, then yeah, you can definitely share it. Like for instance, um, I decided to go out for a really long run. In fact, this is the first time gone for a run in a really long time. Cause I just feel so out of weight, out of shape because of this whole COVID thing. Um, so what I did was I managed to get myself, I managed to get my dog to say, okay, to go in for a walk today. Usually he doesn't like it because he's gotten as lazy as I am. So teaming up with my dog, we decided to train each other and go for a really nice long run. In fact, I realized when I was on this run, how I could train my dog. That is not a human baby. That is my cat being an asshole yet again, because he loves talking whenever I'm on, ca on camera. But essentially you can say that and then just kind of go into um, in fact, the only reason I, ever, I was able to get my dog to whip back into shape so quickly and be okay with going for walks instead of like whining and, you know, sitting his weight down and stuff is because I went through this training process with him as a pup. And if you have a puppy or a young dog, I actually created and documented the series. Go here and check it out today. So that's how you can relate that. But something I will say with people, and it's not to do with marketing so much, but it's something I've seen online that's really bugging me. Please stop complaining about your spouses publicly. I have, a, this is such a weird thing. Like I adopted this two years ago as an idea and it's really stupid that it took me only until two years ago until I figured this out. Don't, uh, the rule was I got taught this by reading a book and I thought on, on relationships, I was like, okay, let me see how this goes. Because up until that point, I had, terrible, I had terrible luck with relationships. Like I'd find someone that's brilliant and then I'd fuck it up somehow or something would go wrong and it would just all fall apart, whatever. But we'd always stay friends for the majority of the time, which is fine. But the problem I found was that I was always, uh, and this is a me thing, so it's self-admittance, I was always critical about my partner, but to my friends. Like I would tell my friends like, oh my God, how do I deal with this? There's so much like this, how do I take care of it? And I realized after, a very, like, after that time period and reading this book, which I cannot remember for the life of me, the lesson was don't bitch about your friend, your partner to your friends. Don't complain about them to your friends. Complain about your partner to your partner. Even if it's like really, yeah. really, really painful to do, do it anyway. And then if you're amongst your friends, do nothing but sing their praises outside the house. And what you find is, it's a very strange dynamic, but what you find is the moment you do this, your relationships start to shift. You start becoming far more vulnerable with your partner and you can say way more stuff to them, which is lovely. But at the same time, your friends outside, because this is a truth that I don't want to acknowledge, but it's a truth that you have to acknowledge. Not everyone that is a friend has your best interest at heart. Right. So because of that, I found that the moment I start bitching about that kind of stuff with my friends, I realized very quickly how few of them I had left. A lot of my friends had just up and left and never spoke to me again. And all it was because, is because they, they wanted to know the drama of what my life was. And I was like, so you want me to be in a constant state of drama, not in a state of wealth, not in a state of happiness and abundance. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's just a little tidbit of relationships, you know, sprinkle a little magic, the more, you know, um, and kind of like hopping back into this, because the second part of the question I did want to ask you, and we did cover it ever so slightly, but I want to go a little bit more depth is how do you not post on days that you don't want to post? Because there are some people that they will post no matter what, because their guru or mentor told them you have to post every couple of times a day, even if you don't feel like it. What do you say to those people? Um, to not post on days when you don't feel like it. Like, you know, I'm having a really shit day. I don't want to post online. I don't want to tell the world how I feel. What do you do? Do you, do you lie or do you just not post? Just don't post. Thank you. I mean, I mean, you could, you could post, but I don't know what, what um, result you would expect um, to have from that. I mean, it depends. It all depends on the kind of business. Like for a lot of what we're talking about here is, is very narrowed down to, you know, personality businesses, businesses that are driven by um, you being the expert or, or whatever. So if that's the kind of business you have, I mean, uh, maybe it's okay to post. Um, but if you're, uh, if you're managing, like if, if your business is, um, doesn't require your personality, I really hate that so many um, of our businesses, by the way, just like you're forcing your personality into everything. You go to their website and it's like there's 15 pictures of, of, of the person just the minute they hit the homepage. It's like, dude, seriously, did you not ever look at your homepage and say, Didn't this may be a little too many pictures of me here? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, see, now you're saying this, I'm thinking, how many pictures are on my fucking homepage? I, think it was like I, I don't know. I didn't see yours, but... but yeah. um, I'm just quickly I mean, going and be like, change. If you look at mine, there's no pictures of me at all. Like, yeah, there really isn't. What's up there? And, there's and, one from you from years ago when you had far more hair, and it was like. You, you know. mean you're talking about the my like the one on Facebook, which I which comes with the post when I do. Yeah, which is basically yeah. that that is your image of who you are. Um, yeah, uh, and I mean it was it, it it was sort of a shortcut because I can't be bothered to like find it an image for every, for every post because these are emails. Um, essentially they're not blog posts, they're emails um, that go out and I just, they happen to also be published on my, on my oh, blog. But, but yeah, no, um, when, when you're, why would you, why would you post if it's not going to help your um, business in some way? Yeah. Um, if you, if you know what purpose it serves and others don't, that's a different story. So I've, I've always had people coming back to me and being critical of me. And I'm talking about people from outside our industry um, yeah. because I don't have like, um, I don't run a special Facebook page for, for people who follow my business. If you're, so all you're the people who add you, are just friends with you. Yeah. They see everything that yeah. you do. And, and so everybody is on there and I post as if everybody can access what I'm posting. So if I'm not comfortable posting something, I don't. And if I am comfortable posting it, I do. And um, you know, I get, I get a lot of, um, slack from um, relatives who will come in and say, oh, why are you writing such and such? Why would you say such and such? Why are you using language like that? Um, don't you know there's, you know, women, there's, there's uh, children on your profile? I'm like, well, fuck, I, didn't, I don't go around asking them to friend me. They're, um, like, I don't go and friend anybody. I leave it up to you. You want to friend me? Great. Um, but then you're going to have to be subjected to whatever it is I put up on my, on my uh, Facebook. Yeah. Um, do you subscribe and, to who I am or do you not? And uh, exactly. And and you know, if I'm if I'm sometimes I'll get like um, I was uh, I was posting back and forth with some um, some people on my on my Facebook, and my wife comes in. Uh, my wife's been um, 
she she had like a lot of um, experience with this uh, earlier on in our relationship, and there was this period of break where I wasn't doing this. I I got off. I didn't get off social media. I just stopped posting on social media um, yeah, for quite quite a long, long time. Um, and so she, I guess she forgot how it was. And then uh, so I'm back and forthing with some um, with some. Uh, of, of the people who are um, on there and some of them happen to be women. Um, and then she gets, she pulls out her, you know, jealousy, like, Hey, you know, and people are going to read this and what are they going to say? I'm like, Oh, sorry, but hang on a second. You notice that what I'm posting here, it's not like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's public and there's nothing wrong in what I said. Um, this is, you know, um, and you have to remember that my Facebook is not like your Facebook or so-and-so's Facebook that might see what I've written. Um, and is gonna uh, bullshit these people just like some of these people um, they're honored that I'm even talking to them um, you know th these are people who have met in, in conferences who came up and asked for my autograph um, or to take a photo with me or whatever so that so they could post it on social media so I'm, I'm, I'm like to them uh, I am like uh, their relationship is is it's they're extremely grateful to receive that response from me. Um, so it doesn't make sense for me to go, oh, well, you know, I better, you know, not say anything back to this or, I, I, you know, I don't want to upset such and such. Anyone who's got a problem with it, you have to remember, um, this is how I earn a living. Um, you know, these people, they, they like who I am and they are purchasing from me because they like me as a person um, in addition to the, to the expertise. Um, so I know why my point is, I know why I'm doing those things. And as long as you know why, and you have an agenda behind what you're doing um, that you get, then post what you think is right. And don't post what you don't think is right. Um, it might, there may be certain circumstances where it is advantageous for you to post about, you know, feeling shit that day. Um, it might help your business. Um, there's people who tell you, you know, I remember uh, back in the days, it's a big no-no to talk about politics. And now you look at the same people who used to say that, don't talk about politics with your list because that's really polarizing and you want people to, to buy from you. Um, and the same people now are very political in their posting. So oh like, well, what happened to that? I, I fucking f love how people try and tell people what to do. And it's, uh, it's the same thing with whenever people tell me that you shouldn't. So I'll give you, the, the whole reason I bring this up is because I had someone message me a couple of weeks ago. And they're like, you know what? You should only post when you like, when you, when you post, you should think what value can I drop to my audience? And I was like, I totally agree with that methodology. But what I don't agree with is the whole post that I wrote on the day was, it's like the post I wrote the other day about how W dating saved my life. If anyone asks, okay, what's the value post on that for me? And I'll put it online. I'll put it out there. The reason I put it out there was because I'm friends with Craig Clements. And Craig has been uh, an influence in my life for a very long time. And I had not, and it was his birthday and I had nothing that I could send him to say, Hey man, you know, congratulations, whatever it is. Um, I sent him that, but there was nothing I could give him that would like give him the insight. Imagine that he just messaged you up and be like, Hey man, thanks so much and happy birthday. By the way, just so you know, you saved my life 15 years ago. You're going to be like, what the, I don't understand this to what context There's no background. So by putting that post out there, it had twofold one, the lessons that I actually shared in there were like, keep doing what you do because it's absolutely incredible. You don't know whose lives you're going to change. And two, um, I don't remember what the second point or the second lesson was, but there was a second, po or a second lesson in there that was powerfully geared. Now, here's how that's played out for me. 
is I've spoken to Craig since, and now we're, I'm actually in like steps towards getting him onto the show. And I want to interview him because he's like, he's not just a copywriter. This guy took like, I made a crap load of money with Evan Pig and started my own business and now I make way more money than I've ever made before. And that's fucking killing it. Yeah. So why wouldn't I want to have that guy on that? So my whole point is for the people listening to this, if you're going to post something personal about your life, make sure it has a point. If you're going to bitch and moan about something, make sure it has a point. And for the people that like are out there going, Adel, why haven't you said anything about BLM and all this, that, the other? Because I have been quite political in my past, but I'm not right now. Um, here's my simple two cents for anyone in future listening. The guy that killed George Floyd, what I think his name was, um, yeah, that dude should totally have a 25-minute fight with John Jones for 25 minutes. That's it. Let's see what happens for 25 minutes. If you get knocked out, you have to wait back up and you keep going until you have 25 minutes of an ass whooping from John Jones. That is, that's my punishment for you. I don't want to hear anything else. And I'd love to see anyone else contest this. Why would you not want the, want the greatest, if not the greatest light heavyweight in the UFC history and probably a little bit of a sociopath slash psychopath beat the shit out of a racist cop who killed someone? That's entertainment. You'd, you'd stimulate the economy right away. Get all those BLM guys to try, like chip in like 10 bucks for the pay-per-view. You'll make more money than ever before. Yeah. If John Jones points on the back end, he won't ever complain about money ever again. (laughs) Seriously, think about it. Think how good that would be as a promotional standpoint. You'd save the US, you'd reverse all the rioting, and everyone would tune into one hell of a good fight. It's one sided, but it'd be funny as fuck. Yeah, you, this reminds me of of George, uh, of George Carlin's um, death penalty uh, um, His routine pen. that he did. Wait, which one? Because was it about the if you kill? What was it if you kill a baby? Uh, or was it if you kill a, an egg in the womb? It's an abortion, but it's murder. But if you if you do it to a chicken, it's it's an omelet. No, 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 no. It was he was talking about. Uh, well, I don't think it was necessarily the death penalty. I think it was it was a whole thing about punishment um, to to reduce. Uh, reduce crime he's like turn it into entertainment and and you know the do it like um halftime at the um at the, uh, the, at the nfl or whatever it is yeah 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 just uh, have two inmates fight it out for pay-per-view fights <laughs> yeah, you would totally make money i don't understand why people don't do this they're fighting in prison you might as well let them come outside and make some money off of it i mean it's kind of it's sort of like what they used to do in um you know in uh, roman times and stuff that's kind of what what was done you know um, it's not really a new concept. It really is. Um, I mean, look at Running Man. Running Man's entire movie premise is based on this. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see that one. You've not seen The Running Man? No. Oh, no, dude, no. it's an 80s classic. Come on. Arnie, I'd, spandex suit running, stupidly strong. Yeah, it works. <laughs> um, you, know, you know what we're saying, though, about you know, going in the opposite direction? Yeah. Um, so, so I, um, I remember when I came out and started to, when I came out, when I, I was hoping to see if you would catch that. I was like, please let yeah. him not catch this. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I always catch sexual, sexual innuendo. My, uh, <laughs> my mind's always in the gutter. So, um, when I, I when I start. No, I was just going to say, like, I wouldn't say you have a dirty mind. I just say you have a sexy imagination. That's the way, that's the way I build it. I don't have a dirty mind. I have a sexy imagination. Um, um, yeah, yeah. When, I, when I started to do the, um, the more, uh, you know, when I went 
informal when everybody was being super formal and I was just like, like cussing and stuff. I, I like took it to whole, if you, if you can find my old emails, um, you'll find that like, I was just, I had this really sharp sort of oh, shit. wit. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, Is your phone going to die? No, 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 no. That's not my phone. Is it, uh, you'll be able to edit this. Hold on, let me pause it. Hey guys, sorry about this. We just had a slight break, uh, simply because my door went and so did Jim's and we basically decided to wait till both our doors stopped ringing and we can come back and actually have this conversation. But while we were having a little bit of a break, we did have a little bit of a discussion and uh, it spurred on, I, I don't remember whether our train of thought was going private, there is a new train of thought that really I want you guys to get behind. And it's this idea of how do you know what content to put out and when not to? Because a lot of people have a very different opinion to what Jim was speaking about, but he doesn't know my opinion on this because we didn't get to that. I thought we'd record it and do it on air. But my opinion is very similar to yours. And that is you can never run out of content as long as you're constantly improving, right? And right. here's where it gets really crazy. There is someone years ago who went through YouTube found all like marketing stuff by Dan Kennedy, Jay Abraham, basically anyone that was putting their marketing stuff on YouTube. Uh, legally or illegally, you know, someone uploaded it, it was there. This person went through, gathered all these videos, set up an optimized press site with Wishlist, I think it was, and charged 30 bucks a month to get access to the content because it was um, compiled in a way that would mean they don't have to search through the internet for it. Wow. And that if was that, that was a that was a best selling product for a very long time. The guy made like uh, he easily made six figures off that a year. Um, now, here's where it gets really interesting with what you're planning to do and what everyone else is looking at, is if you're concerned, oh no, my free stuff is going to look too much like my paid stuff or whatever, people don't care. People like you, they will actually buy the same stuff as long as A, you go into a little bit more depth, B, give an example, or C, if you just compile old really good stuff with new really good stuff, you have a very good winner. Like if you have a really good email sequence that worked a couple of years ago, if you update it, it will work again this time around and you can actually sell that. But that's just an idea. But back to what you were saying. About basically building your own product and stuff and using a crap load of like having a crap load of stuff. Yeah. Um, exactly. When you're, when you're, um, I, I want to put out a lot of content. Let's say. Sorry. Oops. Ah, you okay? Hold on. I'm going to pause real quick, guys. We're going to come back to this in just a second. Yep. So Jim, you're basically talking about like content creation. Yeah. Uh, um, stuff out there. I, I think that like I'm adopting this new strategy. It's not something that, you know, I learned from someone or some, or somebody like gave me the, the, the light bulb moment or something like that. I just want to put a lot of, a lot of content out. Um, because I think that at the end of the day, the, um, the biggest, the biggest asset that you can have, especially with an internet um, based business is to have um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of content. Cause that's essentially, that's how people discover you. That's how people find out about you. Um, and, and, you know, even when, uh, when you start getting, when you are running, say a paid traffic campaign to a product that you are selling. So the content you put out doesn't need to be deliberately um, trying to sell something. It can be just content that is just valuable and it's put out there um, without an, an agenda or a sales agenda or, or anything. But people start 
going, oh, this guy, they come, you know, they discover you through your content in some way. They're like, oh, this guy um, seems to, you know, know his stuff, or this guy seems really interesting, or whatever it is that they like, what they, whatever appeals to them about you. And they run a search on your name. And when they run that search on, the, on your name, they will come across your paid ads and they'll come across more of your content. And some of that content is gonna be selling. Um, so it, there's no bad, um, it's, it's never a bad idea to have a lot of good content, good high quality content out there that reflects positively on you. Um, whether it's your knowledge or expertise or, or whatever, even when your business is not a personality business. If you look at it, if you look at somebody who is, um, you know, some, some of the personalities out there who are um, really well known, um, like, you know, Bill Gates, for example, or Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or, or um, Zuckerberg, um, people just want to know about them because they know that they're connected to their business. And the business is, it's not a personality driven business, but um, that their, their, their popularity as a, um, as a, a business owner um, drives also interest in their business. Very true. Like it is true. Like basically who you become is uh, who you are can also support people actually buying from you. Yeah. And investors and investing in you mm -hmm. um, as well. I mean, that's cause, cause I have, I have eventually like my goal is to, and I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to have investors, but my goal is to eventually um, move away from, you know, the, the stigma of internet marketer. Um, just, it's not, I don't see it as a business that has room for the kind of goals I'm trying to accomplish. I hear you there. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, well, yeah, so lots of content, um, whether it's video or text or audio or whatever. And, uh, and not to worry about it, you know, not being uh, taking away from um, valuable content that you can put into a product for sale because you could always put together a product. Um, if you have, like when you are truly knowledgeable in your field um, or knowledgeable in lots of fields, I guess as well, um, you'll always be able to come up with a sellable product based on your knowledge and it's not going to run out. There's not like a limitation on how many secrets um, you have under your belt that um, will only be you'll only reveal in a product that people will pay for. Agreed. So, like, my question for you from that perspective is, where is it that you want to go to? Because, like, I agree with you. Like, this business online stuff has been incredible. But for me, it's a case of, um, as I think I mentioned to you and we mentioned on the last show as well, I'm moving towards being more of a creative director. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm going to only work in the digital realm. I'm going to work more in the offline world as well, which means we are going to have to have investors and pitch meetings and all the other fun stuff. But my question to you is where, where do you, how big do you want to get? Like, where do you want to get to? Well, I mean, my dream has always been to, um, to be a, a tech business owner. Um, so I've always wanted to um, be in technology. And that's one of the reasons that I have not like this, People are always, you know, they're always talking about, oh, but this way makes a lot of money or this way works or whatever it is. And I'm like, dude, you, don't you have any sense of 
like a lot of these people, the only sense of um, values that they have, the only values they have is to the almighty dollar. And I see that as a, a really, um, it's a really bad attitude to have. I mean, it doesn't mean that you won't succeed in getting the dollar um, if that's what you're pursuing, but it's like the, the dollar itself doesn't really have value. It's what it does for you and what you do to get it. And for me, I think it's really important that what you're doing is something that you really, not just from an ethical standpoint, ethical first, but it's gotta be something that you feel good about um, contributing um, to make your dollar. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, um, being, for example, a taxi driver, nothing wrong with being a taxi driver, but let's suppose it came out that, you know, you could be a millionaire being a taxi driver. I don't want to be a taxi driver. I don't see that as an intellectually stimulating enough job or a good use of um, my talents to be a taxi driver, even if you could be a millionaire doing it. But I know a lot of people who are just going to be like, fuck yeah, I'm going to be a taxi driver. If you can be a millionaire doing it, that's an easy job. That's easy millions. Um, you know, they, they don't really have a problem with that. And good for them. I mean, they're going to probably get rich before me. Um, but I wanted to have, I've always had this dream to be, to have a technology business. I wanted to, it to be a um, business that um, contributes to uh, humanity um, and, you know, makes a large impact um, the way that uh, Google has done, that Microsoft has done, that Apple have done, Facebook and so on. They've made an impact on humanity, uh, whether that ends up in the long term being a good or um, like a positive or negative one. I don't know, but I think that, um, you know, that that's sort of the role models that I've had. And I think that I'm, I'm getting a little bit behind on that, um, on that goal. Uh, and that upsets me and worries me at times because that's always been, you know, since I was a kid, that was my target. This is way before everybody thought it was cool. Um, well, I don't know that everybody does, but a lot of people think it's cool now. Um, back then, it was like, yeah, you're a nerd. <laughs> oh, no, it's so true. This is a kind of like my gripe I have with people kind of coming and be like, I'm a nerd. I'm like, go fuck yourself. You did not get an ass whooping at school. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember going to school as a Star Wars fan and having my ass handed to me because I love Star Wars. <laughs> like, if you never had an ass whooping for it, I'm sorry, but you don't earn the title nerd right away. You got to earn that shit. I mean, dude, I was such a nerd. I wanted to wear glasses to the point that I pretended to have vision problems so that I could get, get them. glasses. No, I, I legit know this. My friend did this. She literally sat in front of the TV till her eyes went fuzzy. And then that's when she got her light test. That, that's how <laughs> fucked she wanted to be. I was like, fair enough. You wanted glasses, you got them. Um, me, I do wear glasses. Like a lot of people don't know this because I don't post photos of me with glasses very often, but I do wear glasses and I like them. But at the same time, there's certain things that like I always say that I'm more nerdy about than people realize. Like D and D I'm somewhat nerdy about. I just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I didn't do either of those. Star Wars I mean, yeah, I liked Star Wars, but not to the point that Star Wars fans like Star Wars. Yeah. Um and same with D and D. Um I, I mean no, no, I've never played played it. I don't for me, really it's video games, it. though. Dude, video games are my, is my area. Like, if I'm a nerd for something, it's video games and movies. Um, you know, I got that out of me when I was a kid. And I came home um, one day. Uh, I came home from, uh, from um, you know, those, those old, old school Quran classes. I don't know yeah. if you ever did them, but uh, yeah. 
yeah, where you go and you, yeah. So I, I came back from one of those. I was like, I don't know, nine, nine years old or something. And I said to my dad, um, you know, I, I want to play on the computer, you know, can I, when can I play on the computer? And he was sitting at it. At, um, we had the old um, Macintosh SE 39 inch um, black and white screen back in those days. Um, and he was like, um, you know, you, what about, why don't you do your, uh, your Quran? Why don't you finish? I was like, oh, we had a test today. He goes, how did you do it? I did okay. Uh, I did good. And he was like, well, fine. Um, he goes, well, how come, why instead of, instead of um, playing games on the computer, why don't you um, learn how to make them? And I was like, what? You can, you can make games? You can make your own games? And he was like, yeah. I was like, how? Teach me. And he was like, I've got this. Um, and he had HyperCard. It was um, at the time was, um, I don't know if you've ever messed with it, but HyperCard is yeah. not really a programming. Um, it's not traditionally thought of as a programming language, um, but it was kind of a multimedia, um, early multimedia thing with, uh, with an element of scripting. Um, and he was, and he was like, yeah, you can uh, let me finish my work and I'll show you. And he, and I was so impatient to the point that, um, he said, okay, well, he gave me the book and he said, you read this till I'm done. And I sat down and I went through the, 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 uh, hypercard manual and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. I can do this, you know? And then, um, that, that's how nerdy I was, you know, I was excited about writing my own games. So I never, I never got into game playing because I started game creating. Yeah, I wanted to create, and even then, I never created, really created my own games. I, I was obsessed with it for a little while, but then, yeah, I just went in other other programming directions. I, I, I think when I was about um, eleven, eleven or so, I wrote like a, a system for it was in, in MATLAB, um, a system for um, uh, what do you call it? As, uh, automatically assessing translation, simultaneous translation. Um, so it was like all this uh, uh, complex statistics and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that was that was my life growing up. So yeah, nerd to the days. It was <laughs> it was not. Uh... I can imagine be one of those things. But see, I actually had a completely uh, not completely different, but I had a very different um, upbringing in that sense. Because for me, like. I had a very conflicting upbringing. So on one hand, I'd be told to go out and play. On the other hand, I'd play out too much. I'm like, that's confusing. Um, but essentially what this did, it gave me a complete understanding of uh, human psychology and actually art. So art and psychology were my two areas I nerved out with the most. Right. And writing and stories, because I've been doing this since I was a kid. So having all those ideas constantly come up at a million and miles a million, a million and one ideas per second, you really get to a very interesting point of uh, what I call nerddom, but you do get there in the end. Yeah. But that being said, however, um, one last thing I do want to like kind of top off the show with is by asking, cause we asked you my favorite question in the past. I'm going to give you like a whole new one realistically. And that is if someone's listening to this and they're sat there and they're wondering, you know what? I think I can actually add value to the world. I think I can be a good person. I can do all these amazing things. Um, I just don't know how to get, my, get out of my own way. What advice would you give them to get out of their own way? Um, I mean, to, to get out of their own way, um, meaning to, to um, like, can you, can you explain what you mean to get out of their own way so that I 
I'm answering the questions that are dancing around. Oh, basically, like, I want to be really good at this thing, but I keep procrastinating. I don't know what I want to do. These weird thoughts get in my head and I just don't do them and blah, blah, blah. And all these other bullshit reasons they don't take action. Um, yeah, you see, I'm, I'm, I, I have a, an interesting different philosophy on this. Um, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of focus um, between people to um, try to do things that they are not good at or to get good at something that they were never really good at or don't love. And, and I, I found over time that it's way better, more interesting and way faster and more effective to, um, to identify what you are good at and to work with the things that you have as assets, as tools in your tool belt, instead of working against the things that you're weak at. So let's say that your weakness is um, in sales. I'm not a good salesman. I mean, you know, it's great to go and say, well, you're not gonna be a good salesman unless you go out there and learn how to sell and you gotta, and, and that's true, you could, you could do that and it would be quite useful, but you're probably not really gonna be a great salesman um, you'll never be a great salesman because no matter how much practice you get because, or saleswoman, because they're, um, it, it wasn't really part of you. It wasn't really something that you gravitated to, especially like when you're an adult, when you're younger, um, there's things that you have to discover that you like, but when you're older, you, you've already, you already figured out a lot of the stuff that you're good at and a lot of the stuff that you're not so good at. And it's really easy for you to look at something and go, I'm not, I'm not good at that. I'm bad at technology. You know, that's it. That I'm bad at technology. You could try to get better, but it's, it's going to be a real uphill struggle. But what you are good at can often um, make that weakness or it can often cover up or make it unnecessary to deal with that weakness at all. Um, uh, so you, um, if you are no good at sales, um, for example, you might be really good at writing. Um, and if you're really good at writing, which is the case that I found myself in, I was, I, I did this, this is exactly what I did. I, I went out and I tried to learn to do sales and I, and I got good enough at it that I was making pretty decent sales in face-to-face -face meetings. Um, but it always felt like, so I didn't like it. I hated every minute of it. I was good, but not, but I didn't love it the way that people do. Um, and, but I was good at writing. And so I sat down and I started to use my writing to sell. And I found that, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. Like it was, it's an easy adaptation um, to make, to go from being good at writing, enjoying writing and selling and writing, you know? Um, and that, that was really, that, that's, I guess, an example of using your strength um, and working, developing your strengths instead of your weaknesses. So if you are, trying to get good at something that you're not good at. My advice is leave it. Don't. It's probably something that's not good for you. But look at what, how you might use things that you are good at, develop those areas of skill that you are good at, so that you can still accomplish a similar um, thing to what you were trying to by taking on the, the thing you're weak at. Agreed. I would agree with that. Work to your strengths. And if you're really good at writing and you're not so great at selling and you want to be a copywriter, I'd still suggest get good at selling because a good copywriter is more of a salesperson than they are a writer, but you can do it. It's not very difficult. And if you want to do it, this is the perfect time for me to do so. 
head on over to thecopywritersroom.com and pick up my five-hour course. It'll take you through everything that you need to do in order to get a, to become a good copywriter, basically. Show you everything. It's fun. With that being said, because that was a weirdly timed plug for me, which I didn't actually <laughs> even intend. Dude, it's been so much fun talking to you as always. Um, guys, please go check out yagilabs.com. You will find out so much amazing stuff there. And of course, Jim doesn't hasn't said this yet, but I'm going to put it out there because by the time the show comes out, hopefully... It's 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 making it. It's got some legs, but Jim is going to have a podcast of his own, which I don't know what you're going to call, but it's going to have some incredible stories on there with some incredible people. Um, and yeah, please go check him out. Please follow him on social media. Stalk him. Make fun of him if you feel like getting roasted. It's up to you. <laughs> Any last words before we leave, my friend? Oh, it's been fun, man. Um, thanks for having me. As always, guys, please go check out yagilabs.com. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show so we can keep bringing out amazing episodes like this one. Take care and have an amazing day. See you guys soon.